One of my desires as a pastor is that each and every one of us would walk in God's power and plan for your life right now. God doesn't live in time and space. God is eternal. Everything in God's world is now. He doesn't have yesterday. He doesn't have tomorrow. He only has now. He sees everything. He's the beginning and the end. What does that look like in our life? This is the Now Principle with Pastor Chris Gleason, lead pastor of Revolution, a four-square church that meets in Harvard Square, Cambridge, Mass. Join us today as we step into the Now Principle with Pastor Chris, where we ask the question, what will you let God do right now? Are we willing to stand up in ways that the world says you can't stand up? Not to defend ourselves, but to defend the one that we love. In the Gospels, there's a story where Jesus comes into the temple. And people always want to talk that Jesus was, he was meek, he was mild. Jesus came in and he went postal. He picked up a whip. He began to overturn all the tables. And he said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. And he took a whip. And he got after them and they left. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see a picture of Jesus just kind of going, okay, guys. Comes over here. No, man, he tore that place up. I mean, remember that Jesus is a carpenter. No power tools, people. No lumber yard to go buy the wood. He was a man, man. He was strong. And he came in like a whirlwind because of what they were doing to his father's house. It was not about him. It was not about what anybody... People were saying crazy stuff about him all the time, and he said nothing. They were saying that he was casting out devils by the devil himself. And he says nothing. But you messed with his father's house. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it a, a den of thieves. There are times where God calls us to stand up, and yet somehow... Myself included, we've, we've just gotten in this place where we're like, well, I can't. You know what? In America, anybody can be, get, get indignant about anything except Christianity. I mean, you can get mad about anything in the world and everybody will celebrate you, but don't you dare make a stand as a believer of Christ. Again, not in arrogance, but saying, this is where I stand. You've pushed me far enough. What I stand for, I will die for. I mean, how many of us, if it came to that, if someone put a gun to our head and said, unless you recant Jesus Christ as your Lord, you're toast right now. There are people that face that, hundreds of thousands of people around the world right now. 
They said there's somewhere between 200 and 250,000 people a year that die and are martyred for their faith. In 1 Samuel 17, the story continues. We know Saul, he tried to put David in his coat of armor. He tried to say, well, hey, if you're going to go up against this Goliath guy, you better put on some armor because, I mean, after all, you're a shepherd. You're not ready. You're not prepared. It says David couldn't even walk. Again, we're talking armor, man. It's not like, you know, putting on, you know, some new clothes. I don't know if you've ever put on a Kevlar vest that the military wear. It weighs about 35 pounds. So imagine what a coat of armor weighed. And David says, you know what? I can't fight like this because this isn't who I am. See, I'm not asking you to be anybody other than who you are and who God has called you to be. See, I'm not going to stand where you stand and you're not going to stand where I stand. And it doesn't matter. I'm only supposed to stand where I'm supposed to stand. You're only supposed to stand where you're supposed to stand. And in this moment, David said, this is where I'm going to stand. And I love this story. Because David says, I can't go in this. He says, so he takes off it, off all the armor. He took his staff in his hand, chooses five smooth stones from the stream, puts them in the pouch of his shepherd bag. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, with the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy. Ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. See, here's the question. What do you do when you make a stand and whoever's there comes after you? Because they will. One of the reasons we don't make stands is we don't want to make waves. Because we're afraid of what somebody might say. They might not like me anymore. They might say bad things about me. Yes, they probably will. But look at David's response. Oh, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He says, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. When was the last time that we made a stand for God and said, we know who God is? I mean, this Philistine says, what? Okay, today I'm going to feed you to the dogs. And David says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Today... I'm going to defeat you, chop off your head. And by the way, all of your buddies, their carcasses are going to be fed into the birds. You could say, well, that was kind of arrogance. No, it was confidence in who his God was. Many times we're more afraid of the people around us than we are of who God is. We're more worried about what somebody might say about us than what we can say to them. We're more worried about the temporal than the eternal. says, all those gathered there will know that that is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He'll give it all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack, I love this, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. 
Man, that's some confidence in who his God is. He's not just standing. He's running. He's, come on, come on. There's something in me that says, it's time for us to stand. We're not picking up slings. We're not taking up guns. We're not shooting anybody. We're not hitting anybody with stones. But we are standing as those who are not afraid of what this world can do to us. But our fear is in the Lord. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. What does it mean for us to step up and stand in the face of our Goliath? What is the Goliath that faces you down? And calls out to you and says, who are you? Who are you? I'm nobody, but man, the Lord God Almighty. What did we read earlier? If God is for us, who can stand against us? Why? Because we've been called. We've been chosen. We've been set aside for His purposes. There's a story. I heard this story many years ago, and and I loved it. And I... And I, I wanted to verify it because, you know, it's one of these ones that you kind of go, is this like an urban legend? You know, and I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm really cautious that I don't just tell stories that I can't somehow, you know, back up. And this story was told, it was written in a book by a guy named Richard Harvey based on his experience. He went to a college called Allegheny College in Medville, Pennsylvania in the 20s. And he had a chemistry class that was taught by a professor called Dr. Lee. And Dr. Lee was a deist who believed that God existed, but once he put everything in motion, then he removed himself and just let the world kind of take over, and whatever would happen would happen. So he would do lectures against prayer. Again, it's in a chemistry class, but, you know, it was a 20, so I guess you did that. So every year, he would make a challenge. And he said, is there anybody here in this class that believes in the power of prayer? And once in a while, somebody would raise their hand. And he says, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this glass flask, and you're gonna, I'm going to let you pray. And I'm going to have you pray that God will not let this break. And when you pray, if God answers prayer, then when I drop this glass flask onto the concrete floor, it won't break. Well, every year... You know, somebody might raise their hand, but then when he came to that part, they'd get really quiet. Kind of like the children of Israel when Goliath made his threat. But one year, this man, Richard Harvey, was in the class. And he made this claim. He says, "If you're, who's willing to do that? And so Richard Harvey heard about it. So he says, you know what, God? I believe in prayer. I believe that when I pray, you hear me and you answer. So he stood up. And Dr. Lee says, okay, let me get this right. You actually believe that when I drop this glass flask 
If you pray and ask God to keep it from breaking, it won't break. He says, yes. He says, okay. He goes, in 30 years I've been doing this. I've never had anybody take me up on it. But just to to honor you, let's let this young man pray. So he says, everybody close your eyes. And he begins to pray. And he begins to pray. He says, Lord, I know that when we pray, you hear us and you answer. Dr. Lee doesn't believe that, and he has made this accusation year after year. So today when I pray, not to honor me, but to honor you and your word, I want to pray that when he drops this flask, it will not break. Amen. So Dr. Lee holds out this glass flask, and he lets it go. And as he lets it go, this amazing thing happens. Instead of just dropping, it actually spins towards him. It hits his pants, goes down his pant leg, hits his shoe, and rolls onto the floor unbroken. Well, you can imagine the crowd, the class kind of went wild, and Dr. Lee never again questioned the the power of prayer. And you look and you say, okay, well, I mean, that was a very specific moment. But my question is, because you say, well, what if it didn't break? What if it did break? So what? So what? It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that won't bow down to the false idol, and they get thrown into the fiery, they're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace. And they said, Here's the deal, King Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down to your idol. See, the bottom line is do I believe that God's word is true? Do I believe that God is alive and well? Do I believe that God is who he says he is? then it really doesn't matter whether he does things the way I think he needs to do them. But am I willing to stand up and believe that he is who he says he is? In Romans 10, 14, it says, How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You know, one of the things that God has been stirring in our church, and it's something that He has been doing because it's so not natural, is, is a desire for us to take our faith public. A few weeks ago, my brother-in-law was here, and he was sharing about that very thing, taking our faith public. We felt like God is stirring something and saying, who, who would like to learn how to share their faith, and we're going to go out there and do it? And so this last week, Thursday night and again yesterday, some people showed up. My wife and, and Lori took them through some training. There were some books that for y'all to read. And then they went out to the street and they just said, Okay, Lord, give us opportunities. We've asked a couple of them just to come and quickly share. Not because it's about us, but because it's this verse right here. If we don't tell them, how will they know? If we don't preach the word, how will they know? There are some messages being taught in America that are so unbiblical, it, 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 it baffles me. And part of the reason is it's not cool to stand up for Jesus. It's not cool to believe the Bible as the Bible is written. 
There are theologies being taught that everybody will go to heaven. Let me tell you that it breaks God's heart that there are people that will not be in heaven. But sin is a very real thing, and it's something that only Christ can bring healing from. And when we begin to water down the Word of God, when we begin to make it more palatable to the world around us, we diminish the very thing that grace stands for. That we have to understand that the Word of God is the Word of God. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13.8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who He was is who He is. He paid the price for sins once and for all. But guess what? We still have to appropriate that. It's not this blanket that, oh, everybody just gets saved. It's kind of like, cool deal. No, we actually have to acknowledge that we're a sinner and we need a Savior. And part of what has happened in America is that we have so soft-pedaled the gospel that it's not the gospel anymore. So I was talking to uh, Don earlier, and he was saying, yeah, until you know what the bad news is, the good news doesn't matter. I mean, if you don't really understand that apart from Christ, you're dead in your sin, then how is the gospel good news? It's kind of like if someone has a cure for cancer, but you don't know you have cancer, you're not really excited about the cure. You're like, well, that's nice for somebody else. But let me tell you what, if you got cancer, all of a sudden when you hear there's a cure, whoa, that's really, really good news. And there's a side that, apart from Christ, we have a cancer. It's called sin that permeates everything that we are. And the only answer or solution is Jesus. So anyway, I'm going to just, a couple minutes, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Corey if uh, he'll come up and then Cecilia is going to come up real quickly and just share for a couple minutes um, about just some, some of what happened as they went out and some of what God has even you know, stirring in them. So if you don't know, this is Corey Gill. Hey, guys. So Thursday, we went out. Um, to take a step back, when uh, Pastor Chris's brother-in-law came here, and they were giving all the, the stories about all their amazing um, trips out and stuff like that. I'm watching this, and you're just like, getting chills hearing this stuff. And you're just like, that's amazing. I would love to, be, to see that happen in person. And then when they talked about actually having the Redwood training, they're like, you guys should come out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's a little scary. So even leading up to the Red Box training thing, I, the thought of actually going terrified me. Ter- that thought was just, yeah, just scared me a lot. So kind of I thought of the, the story, Mark, when, uh, when uh, Jesus comes walking on the water towards the boat. And uh, Peter doesn't really have the faith to go out there, but asks Jesus and says, tell me to come, and then I'll come. And so I kind of prayed that. I just said, God, if you really want me to go to this, then, you know, tell me to come and I'll, I'll go. And of course, I'm plagued that whole week with guilt about how I need to go to this thing. So, so I do. I go. So we do the training beforehand, which was really good. It kind of equips you, make you feel a little bit more comfortable. And then Pastor Ishtar says, so let's go. And of course, all of us were like, wait, what? This is just training. We're not... So we go out there, and uh, we go two by two, and uh, me and Mark actually got partnered up. And so we go out there, and I'm still just terrified. And to his credit, Mark kind of drugged me along, and we go and uh, we talk to, he goes over and introduces himself to one person and just walks right by. 
And the next guy just kind of just, you know, sneers a little bit, keeps walking. Of course, that just reinforces how terrified I am. And so then Mark kind of keeps me going, and I'm kind of behind him, you know, looking like this, you know. And so we stop this, this guy, John, his name, right? John, this guy from Canada. And we stop, talk to John. And to my amazement, he didn't sneer. He didn't punch us. He didn't yell at us. He actually stopped and talked to us. And we both talked about, at that moment, you just feel God meet you there. Like, you feel the Holy Spirit come. I cannot describe it any more practical way than that. He just met us there. We even talked about it. We just felt like chills. It's like he met you there. We talked with this guy. He said he was having just, after we talked for, what, five minutes, ten minutes, we talked to this guy, and he was just saying, I am so glad that you guys came and talked to me. I've had an awful week, and I needed to talk to somebody. We prayed with him, um, and that we left. And it was one of those just, like you say, divine appointments. There was no coincidence. That's what we were supposed to do. So we leave, and uh, uh, it was amazing. But it has uh, really challenged me to, from this point forward, not to uh, question getting out of the boat. When he says, come, you take a step out. Um, so I also went out that evening um, when we got there. Like, we were watching videos of the training, and they were sort of going through the, the questions that you would ask. You know, first, can I ask your opinion about something? And, and then you ask them, do you think many or few will go to heaven? And then it leads to the Ten Commandments and all this stuff. And I'm, like, watching this stage demonstration thinking, there's no way that people are going to listen to me go through this. And, I was, and afterwards, I said that. I was like, I don't think my friends are going to sit that long through that and listen to me. I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, they're going to blow me off, and they're going to walk away. And so then they said, we're going out. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> I was like, I have to go home. I have homework to do. Like, I need to get to sleep. This is midterms week. <laughs> and then I was like, but we're going out. And I came because God, you know, I've been praying for boldness. And so if I want boldness, I guess I have to actually do something for God to give me boldness. So, okay, so we're going out. And I'm terrified. And I'm with Lori. And we talked to this couple. And they, uh, the guy's name was Will. We didn't catch his girlfriend's name. But he was an atheist. Um, but he grew up in a very religious home. So he said, you know, if many or few will go to heaven, he's like, well, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in heaven. We're like, okay, well, just pretend. And he's like, well, even pretending's hard, but he went along with it eventually. And um, what that conversation didn't stay with the way the format in the video went. But what happened is his girlfriend ended up speaking up and said, you know what, I have a Christian friends, and what I want to know is if heaven and hell and God are really real. She's like, I don't understand why they aren't trying their hardest to save me and to tell me about this. Because if it's, if it's real, like, why aren't they trying to help me? And why aren't they speaking up? And as, when she said that, I was just like, whoa. Like, first of all, it's encouraging that I can talk to my friends, knowing that God is going to provide an openness um, that as we've been saying, that his word will not come back void. Um, but also it was just really convicting when hearing someone who's also an 
an atheist who doesn't believe in God, but said, I would want my friends to tell me if they thought that was real. I would want them to try. And even though she's an atheist, you know, I was like, wow, that's really encouraging. Thank you guys. Thank you. You know, the thing about what we're talking about is it's not about where. It's not even about when. It's more of a matter of if. Are we willing to make a stand when God gives us or puts us in a place to make a stand? I'm sure many of us, I can, I can think many times in my life where I didn't. Many times where I failed, and I'm so thankful that God doesn't hold those over our heads. But what He does encourage us, what He does challenge us, it's what about today? We don't ever have tomorrow. We only have today. What will we do now? Will we make a stand now? You've been listening to The Now Principle with Pastor Chris Gleason, the radio ministry of Revolution Church, where we are committed to being grounded in His Word and empowered by His Spirit. We invite you to visit us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. We meet at Leslie University's Brattle Campus in the Washburn Lounge, located at 10 Phillips Place, Cambridge, Mass. If you would like prayer or more information, call 617-441-0777 or visit hearlistenobey.com. This is a listener-supported program. And if you would like to partner with us, we invite you to go to hearlistenobey.com as we stand for God's Word and God's Spirit in Harvard Square.